This is episode 29 of Alohomora for May 4th, 2013. May the 4th be with you. Yep, I know this isn't a Star Wars podcast, but it is in fact May 4th. Um, I'm Noah Freed. I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Laura Riley. Look at that, we had Harry Potter Day and Star Wars Day in the same week. How amazing is that? <laughs> it, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that happens every single week, right? Well, every single year. Every single year. Well, that's true, but really every day. Every day should be um, Harry Potter Day for us. Well, it yeah, is, but I meant it? the specific Harry Potter Day of the, the Battle of Hogwarts, of course. Right. Of course. Um, <laughs> Weren't you following us on Twitter, Noah? <laughs> I was sending some of those tweets. No, you weren't. Keith was doing that. That's true. He's a great guy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we start, we need to remind everyone to read chapter 18 before listening to this episode, as that is the chapter we are discussing this week. And it's a really short one, so it shouldn't take you long. So we're going to talk about some of the comments we received on last week's episode, which covered chapter 17, Cat, Rat, Dog, which first of all, I want to say... After listening to the episode, everyone had a lot of fun bashing me and Noah and our theories when we weren't there to defend ourselves. So mm-hmm. thanks, guys. But, Say it to my face. Sorry. Sure, anytime. <laughs> um, okay, but we had a lot of comments on a lot of different subjects, particularly time travel, which still confuses me. I appreciate that Kat said, agreed with me in that the time travel is too much for me to comprehend. It is so convoluted. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, it's super interesting, but it kind of blows my mind. I can't even, like, think Anyone who knows it. me, like, the, the season of time travel and Lost is, like, the bane of my existence. I'm very against time travel. I Anyway. <laughs> um, okay, so this comment it comes on our forums uh, in response to the prejudice Ron has towards werewolves and Lupin. Infested with Nargles says, I think this is typical Ron. It's in line with the way he views house elves, goblins, and giants. Remember when he finds out that Hagrid is part giant? He's visibly shaken and he knows Hagrid isn't dangerous. Ron is representative of the way most of the wizarding world views magical non-humans. He has only known werewolves as being dangerous, so why would he think Lupin is anything but... So I think this was in response to saying, um, would Ron um, have been as prejudiced if he was in kind of just a less stressful situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to agree with this commenter, and there's a lot of people on the forums that were talking about this and all agreeing um, that Ron just kind of innately has those prejudices. Which makes me a little sad. I don't know, but at least he's not as bad as the Malfoy is, right? Yeah, I know yeah. the same commenter was also talking about how um, a bit of confusion as to why Ron really has these prejudices when it doesn't seem like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Weasley really instill these ideals in their children the same way the Malfoys do. Mm. I think that would probably be kind of wizarding media and things. Like if you grew up mm-hmm. reading the Daily Prophet, then you're going to kind of get some of those ideas imprinted in you, even if you're not actually hearing them all the time from your parents. But I mean, with people like um, Greyback around, you do hear, you hear the horror stories in the newspaper of kids being attacked. So I think that, you know, Molly and um, Arthur would be, afraid as well of werewolves not necessarily of you know house elves and goblins and giants and all of that kind of thing but if you've got kind of evidence of bad things happening and you don't know any other way then perhaps you know it does kind of filter through to your children 
And you got to remember that Ron grew up on these stories of werewolves and giants in his childhood. And I'm sure Fred and George told him about all the terrible creatures out there that can get him. Um, probably that's probably the case for any wizarding child. So yeah. that's probably the biggest element other than the media. The media is always to blame, isn't it? Womp womp. Except for MuggleNet. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, so this next comment, um, there was a lot of discussion about this on the topic of Harry killing Sirius and the technicalities behind that. This comes from our main site from Have a Biscuit Potter. Every time I read the passage in which Harry has his chance to kill Sirius, I can't help but think that even if he did find it in him to kill the man, he would not know how. Now, not with magic, at least. Harry won't learn the killing curse until next year, and right now he probably doesn't know enough magic to cause Sirius more than a nosebleed. Also in this chapter, when Harry is contemplating killing Sirius just before Lupin enters, the passage reads, Harry gripped his wand convulsively. Do it now, said a voice in his head. We can only ponder over what this voice really is. Is it really just a person's inner voice or something much more sinister? Could Voldemort's piece of soul inside Harry really be behind it? It's a stretch, but it's possible. Oh my god, I had never thought of that before. It's Voldemort. We've discussed the inner voice thing before, that maybe every time we hear this inner voice, it's actually the Horcrux. That's incredible. I always think of, I mean, this is a movie thing more than anything, but like in the Order of the Phoenix when he's like, you know the spell. Like, that's <laughs> right. where I, I mean, obviously it's not even a voice in his head that's like, he's right there, but still. What about when he's, what about when he's looking in the mirror? He's like, look at me. Look at me. Look well, at me. I mean, that's pretty obvious, <laughs> Noah. But um, this, this is less, I'm, that's brilliant. Have a biscuit, Potter. Good job. But yeah. here's another question. How would Harry, let's, all right, so Sirius is there just, prepared uh, like harry's ken is going to kill him how would harry do it he wouldn't and that's what that's what this person is saying but he would he was totally prepared to do it like harry seems like while he's struggling with it morally um he doesn't seem to be thinking of like hmm, how do i like physically pull this off um because right. i mean i always just assumed he like knew the killing curse but uh the more comments i read like he hasn't actually heard it from anything um harry doesn't know he anything he doesn't learn it until next year yeah. So, um, and then I mean, there's a comment next that says, from the forums from Snuffles, that says, why not? Stab him in the eye with his wand, petrify him, and then kick him in the <laughs> head till he dies, petrify him and go grab a knife, petrify him and bury him alive. <laughs> if you really want to kill someone, you'll find a way. Harry is 13, guys. Like, this is going to a place. And I think Snuffles needs some medication. <laughs> I mean, this sounds. Are you okay, Snuffles? Do you well, need yeah, help? That's our, that's our loyal fan. <laughs> I'm I'm sure that he or she will realize that. One thing to remember, though, is that you know at the very beginning of this book, he did blow up his aunt. If he really wanted to do it, it but would like happen. by accident, by like his head, right. and he wasn't like blow up like kaboom, she's in pieces across the lawn. <laughs> no, but <laughs> like it was, it's uncontrollable emotion. So if he's feeling angry enough that he wants to, you know, get his aunt out of the house in some way <laughs> that would actually turn her into a balloon and float off, then I'm sure like. <laughs> If yep. he was actually that murderous, there would be some kind of explosion involved. I think it also, I mean, the, <laughs> this actually made me think of, um, I mean, this it's, it's a bad example because Harry's never going to kill anyone. But no. um, just how not, um, I can't think of the word, but just not, it's not like visceral, like killing someone with magic. It's like, I'm out of cadaver, hi, you're dead. Um, and it kind of almost makes it not easier, but just... Versus, like, what Snuffles is bringing up, like, it takes a lot more to go petrify and kick someone and grab a knife and bury them alive and stuff. Uh, but I think people almost 
kill each other easier without with like it's it's kind of the same could be said about like guns or something where it's just where the humanity's taken out of it mm-hmm. it's just like yeah. an easy thing um that people can tend to kill faster one thing to remember with the killing curse though is that we've seen with the cruciatus curse that you have to really mean it to actually you know inflict pain on someone so i'm sure that yeah. the killing curse would be the same and I think, too, the difference between this instance and the whole thing with Marge is that Harry has his wand here and he's very conscious of what he's doing. And I, like Laura said, he's never going to kill somebody, regardless of how angry he feels about it. With Marge, it was the visceral reaction of get her out of this house. Um, and I think that that makes the difference in this yeah. case. Wait, so you think you guys think Harry wasn't actually going to kill Sirius, even though he was saying well, in his head not. how much he wanted no. to? No, he's a wuss. In the same way, he doesn't kill, like, Voldemort or Bellatrix or literally anyone when he has the op- when, when given the opportunities. After Bellatrix kills Sirius, like, it doesn't get much worse than that. And he's, like, standing over her, the wand, and he's not doing anything. And if he wasn't going to kill someone that he in that has moment. Killed, he's killed Voldemort twice now. Sure, like, one of them was just putting hands on someone's face and the other one was stabbing a diary, but he's killed him twice. That's got to Yeah, but not with his wand, not with magic, like not not with intentional hands. magic, and not like yeah, and not particularly knowing what he was doing. Like, right. Yeah. I think I think the takeaway from all this is, Kat, you're right. Harry is a wuss. Well, obviously, well, not not even that. Just like moral kind of like not or killing, killing people is wrong. It's not Yay. a wuss. Right. He's a good person. <laughs> it's. I mean, isn't it the Weasleys? that's like moral fiber in the movies. Talk about his yeah. moral fiber. I mean, it's yeah. true. Well, uh, this kind of translates to the next comment, which is on the subject of violence. Uh, on the last episode, all of you guys kind of were saying that this was the first book where, like, vi- the violence was really a thing. Um, S.K. Guy, Sk- Guy, I don't know. You guys Sk- get more pronun- Sk- pronounceable Sk- usernames. Uh, okay. Basically, you guys are all dead wrong. Violence, bloody violence, has been seen throughout the series. Um, and they gave an example from Chamber of Secrets. Fox dived, his long golden beak sank out of sight, and a sudden shower of dark blood spattered the floor. The basilisk had been punctured by the phoenix, blood was streaming to the floor, and the snake was spitting in agony. But as warm blood drenched Harry's arms, he felt a searing pain just above his elbow. That's pretty gory. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Okay. But there's a difference there in that the the gore there is associated with the the bad guy. It's the snake that's bleeding. Well, Harry, no, um, Harry's arms also drenched in warm blood with yeah, a searing pain. The blood drenching Harry's arm at that point is still the snake's blood. The searing pain is his arm, and then obviously he does get he does start to bleed. But we don't see as much of the kind of brutality as we do with, when they're kind of facing the tree and everything. I mean, having a searing pain and then kind of seeing blood is not the same as having a tree whack you in the head and you get blood dripping down in front of I your guess, eyes. I guess because the tree is a creature, to, like in my eyes, and not like uh, a person. Um, I've always kind of seen Prisoner as one of the least violent books, just because um, a lot there's a, a very, no fighting that really goes on. Um, this whole kind of climatic thing right here is kind of talking it out, and there's a lot of drama, and it's great. But you know, the violence presented here is from the tree, which we also you know the shock value of the tree kind of was presented in Chamber of Secrets, and now it's like oh, the Whomping Willow is like pissed off again, but. I don't know. I've always kind of seen Prisoner as a particularly non-violent book, but do you think that's partly because of like the main villain we see throughout the the earlier part of the book is the Dementors as well, and they're so kind of they are very 
dangerous. Yeah, but I think in a completely different way than we'd, we're used to. Yeah, I think this is more. It's more like mental anguish in this, yeah. like with the Dementors, um, which you know is just makes is it terrifying. Mature, but yeah, yeah. And it's one of those books that have Voldemort, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, and this last comment um, comes from Infested with Nargles again on the plot twist. Uh, to me, the biggest twist in the plot was Snape's allegiance. Perhaps because I read Prisoner of Azkaban for the first time so long ago, I'm very used to the idea that Sirius is Harry's godfather. I was so young when I read the first three books for the first time. I think I was 11 when the first came out. Had had the first three read by the time I was 13. Then I don't even remember how I felt when I discovered the twist for a long time. However, I distinctly remember my jaw dropping as I read the chapter of, on Snape's memory, and the line always is by far my favorite moment in the books. Snape wins. On a side note, growing up reading the books was pretty cool. However, I wish I had been a little older the first time I had read the series. When you guys asked the question, what did you think about the first time you read this? I cannot answer the question. I don't remember. I didn't think deeply. I didn't see obvious clues. And I could never predict what was going to happen. So I included this um, <clears throat> comment just because this is exactly what I've been secretly feeling. Um, because I'm <laughs> obviously I'm the youngest person here. Um, and I'm like jealous every single time you guys are talking about like what do you remember oh i didn't see this coming um well as much as i appreciate growing up with uh, the books i truly can't remember my reactions pre-goblet of fire and um which is why i also when i was listening to the show and you guys were saying that this was the biggest plot twist turning thing of the entire series i think you guys are probably correct but for me i would say the same moment that this person wrote just because by that point i was older and able to be shocked by things like that because i was eight when i read prisoner of azkaban yeah i mean i could see where infested with nargles and even you laura would would you know say that snape's memory is probably the biggest twist but i think um i'm not sure age factors into it but again i get that but I think for me, the reason that was the whole biggest twist is because it's so early in the books. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if that never happened, so many things in the series wouldn't have happened. Yeah, and that's I completely yeah. agree. Um, but that's if you had asked me, oh, what did you think was the biggest twist? I would never say the Prisoner of Azkaban, what you, what you guys right. would all said, just yeah. because I don't remember that like reaction of like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, because I was just so young. Um, I just can't I remember it. I can't remember if I said it was the biggest twist last week, but I definitely think it was my favourite twist. But I think it's not necessarily because I grew up with the books or because I was only slightly older than you, Laura, not by much. Um, like, I started reading them when I was eight as well, so I was I was literally growing up yeah. with each book as they came out. The I was so kind of immersed with the fandom when the kind of the later books were coming out that the Snape twist wasn't actually really a big twist for me. Like everyone had been pondering about Snape's allegiance for years. Like, is he good? Is he evil? Mm -hmm. We don't really know. All the clues have kind of been pointing both directions throughout the earlier books. Right. Yeah. I could have very well have thought been like thrown off by this and I think it was a twist. It's just, I can't remember thinking whether or not I thought that. Well, then it's a good thing that you and Infested with Nargles are here so that we can inform you the correct things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know what, guys? I didn't really feel this twist at all. I'm pretty sure I saw the movie before I read the book and didn't, didn't actually yeah, read Yeah, that's the because book. you do everything backwards. Until I was like 14. <laughs> do not admit to that. <laughs> and that's okay. I didn't start reading the books until I was in college, but I'm also, what, 10 years older than all of you, so. Yeah. 
Well, eight. Rosie, you're what, 22? Yeah. Four? 22. Yeah. 22. So eight years older. Me too. Yeah, I know how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But I think the the idea of the biggest twist is as personal as the idea of your favorite book or your favorite character. Yeah. That it's whatever sure. was the most twisted for you. Mm-hmm. Although There's this is be. the this is the biggest twist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pretty sure my favorite twist is the objectively best twist. Mm. I beg to differ. We, uh, last week our special feature was Pottermore in depth. We got a lot of information on the Marauders map and the Firebolt and different broomsticks. So this comment comes from Firebolt on the Marauders map and it says just a thought on whether Harry would show up on the map when under the cloak I imagine this is a mistake but could there be an exception when the cloak because the cloak belonged to James I wonder if they trained the map so that the cloak would show up so that they might see James handy if he's in trouble for example or for knowing where people are if setting up a trick or something not the most airtight theory but it but the link it draws between Harry and his dad makes me happy I mean that's possible I think Eric said something similar last week yeah, it's possible, but I think it's more likely to just, you know, be a mistake again. I don't think she'd necessarily had the idea of the Hallows at this point. Um, so that might be why. And doesn't the doesn't the cloak rebound spells too? So maybe that would somehow act on the map, searching for the person underneath it? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how that spell works, but yeah, that's true. Mm. It's a mystery. Okay, so we also had the podcast question of the week last week, um, and we were talking a lot about, you know, the, the chapter was called Cat, Rat, Dog, um, and we were talking about Crookshanks, Wormtail, and Sirius, and they were all acting kind of both animal-like and human-like within the chapter. Um, so we asked you kind of about their qualities and what made them act more like animals or what made them act more like humans. Um, and we had some really great comments, so these might be a little bit long, but I'm going to read them all out because it's interesting. Um, so H.P. Allison said many of Sirius's actions can be linked to typical canine characteristics. That's probably why he became a dog animagus in the first place. Like a dog, Sirius is focused on the present moment only. He has a one-track mind. He wants to kill Peter. Damn the consequences. His lack of thought of the future is a significant reason that he tends to be so reckless. Um, loyalty is another classic dog trait. Sirius both does and does not exemplify this characteristic. Um, Sirius's actions exemplify a great loyalty to James. He will stop at nothing to avenge his best friend's betrayer. On the other hand, he does not always show loyalty towards Harry. At one point in this chapter, he tries to choke Harry to throw him off and go towards Peter. I think Sirius does feel loyalty towards him given the gift of the firebolt and his attempts to see him throughout the year. Um, He's so focused on getting to Peter that Sirius would conceivably harm those he cared about. A more human feature is the lack of self-defence. For most dogs, I think the instinct for self-preservation is stronger than the desire to hunt and kill. When Harry directly threatens Sirius, he makes no attempt to stop him, other than asking Harry to let him explain. He's so racked with guilt that he appears willing to let Harry hurt or even kill him. On the other hand, using my dog as, as an example, Sirius should have bounded into the Shrieking Shack with a big grin and wagging tail, gone mad licking Harry's face, sniffed through everyone's pockets for treats, and then curled up in the corner for a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for that, H.P. Allison. It's a really great comment. Um, what do you guys think about these individual kind of characteristics? Sirius is loyal and he's fun, but isn't he a little bit too? Is he too bloodthirsty in this in these chapters right now, or is it kind of appropriate to his dog-like nature? 
I think he hasn't really gained, like, he doesn't have a reason to be loyal to Harry yet other than, you know, the association with his father. He doesn't know Harry. Um, so he's still, yeah, loyal to the idea of um, getting vengeance for James. Um, and he becomes more loyal to Harry later on. Um, Do you think he's become more dog or human at this point? I think he's acting more instinctually. Um Right now, which is definitely more dog-like than human-like, because we kn- we get to know Sirius, and we know that he's organized, maybe. Organized. I'm not sure that's the word that I want, but... I don't think I'd ever describe him as that. He, he's I, always pretty reckless. Yes, but I mean, he... I can't come up with the word that I'm trying to find. So never mind. You Ravenclaw, <laughs> buried in your books. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, continuing the idea of loyalty, we've got H. Uh, H. Potter rocks, or H. Potter ox, even ninety-seven. <laughs> um, also from the main site, and it says, "Well, Sirius remains loyal to James and Harry for the rest of the books, and Harry confided in Sirius. I suppose these characteristics would go along with the fact that Sirius was a dog as an anime guy." Um, poor Crookshanks doesn't reappear as a significant character after this book. I, it would have been nice to learn more about him as the series progresses, but Joe decided Crookshanks was the was the to only star in Prisoner of Azkaban, and of course Pettigrew beget, uh, being a rat plays out a huge part, to be a huge point in the series. When a rat comes to mind, generally the terms disgusting, hideous, and stupid follow. Pettigrew did just to, uh, did justice to his anime guy form by betraying his friends, hiding in fear, and following those who can give him some sort of power. Wormtail lived a life of cowardice, always hiding in the shadows, just like the rat he was. Yeah, I mean, and we're going to talk about Anime Guy um, later in our special feature for sure. But um, yeah, I feel like for Pettigrew especially, his Animagus form and his personality are so, like, dead right on. So, yeah. I actually, I never actually uh, really gave much thought to the fact that... um, the cat doesn't play any sort of role in the next books, like for how important that they, um, that she made him in this book. Um, I think it's not like there's really nothing about it for the remainder of the books. Yeah. Where is Crookshanks when they're all, you know, camping in Deathly Hallows? Crookshanks is Ron. (laughs) Crookshanks is not Ron. (laughs) The ginger cat. Mandrakes aren't alive, Noah. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, fire with fire. Okay. <laughs> what I was going to say is um, that comment said that when a rat comes to mind, generally the terms disgusting, hideous, and stupid follow. Um, but to all rat lovers out there, there is a very big difference between, you know, the horrible rats that kind of live in sewers and things and pet rats that are quite nice um, and are <laughs> very friendly. So we're not having any rat prejudice here. But I'm having a little bit of rat prejudice. <laughs> Hashtag rat liberation front. Oh my god. Rosie starts. No. no. <laughs> I just know that there are, there are lots of people that do keep rats as pets and that pet rats are a lot nicer than horrible rats. So they I don't want could to get a puppy. Generalize. They could puppy. get a puppy. That that is true, Laura. They could get a puppy. <laughs> they could get a puppy. You made that choice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just kind of stuck on this comment from HP Potter Ox 97 that Wormtail's pretty terrible. Lived a life of cowardice, always hiding in the shadows, just like the rat he was. Which is all right. So this 
that's kind of making me think this fandom has a lot of hate for Peter Pettigrew, um, and maybe not unjustly. Um, it doesn't really do anything redeeming. Is there anything redeeming about this guy that we can think of? I think we have to wait to discuss that when we see him in... Is it Deathly Hallows or is it... Oh, it's it's Deathly, Deathly Hallows. Hallows. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll discuss that a lot more later on when we get there. But for eventually. now, no. He's a dirty, <laughs> dirty sewer rat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> um, so that is the end of our recap from our qu- uh, question of the week last week. So we're going to move right into our chapter discussion this week. Chubbs writing. Mooney, Wormtail, Badfoot, and Proms. All right, so we last left our heroes in the Shrieking Shack. They have just come head-to-head with Sirius Black. He's there, and he's pointed at the rat, Ron's rat, and apparently it's Peter Pettigrew. And Ron's like, Peter Pettigrew? No, this is this is my rat. That's Scabbers. And now both Professor Lupin and Sirius are pointing at the rat and saying, no, that is actually their long-lost friend. So the chapter opens with a bit of a scuffle. There's kind of a, a wrestling match. Did anyone else kind of find this interesting that uh, Sirius kind of jumps for Ron and then Lupin pulls him off? I mean, not really. No. No. <laughs> I got excited. It was really cool. Because <laughs> I don't think he's lunging for Ron. He's lunging for Pettigrew. Well, of course, right. he's yeah. lunging for Pettigrew, um, but Ron's like leg gets in the way. He cries out in pain. Although, wait, wait. I just found this comment, which I think is hilarious. It's on page 350. It says, one hand was still clawing the air as it tried to reach Scabbers, who was squealing like a piglet. Just yes. made me think of Dudley. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good comparison. In addition to like breaking his leg, he's also like, getting like scratched. I think they, there's a quote that says like he's been like scratched and is bleeding. Ron's getting the short end of the stick here. <laughs> he is. He's getting wailed on, and it's not even his fault. But he's By just a trying rat. to protect his rat. Yeah. So obviously, we know that we know the rat is Peter Pettigrew. But Ron has no idea. So Lupin basically convinces Ron, Harry, and Hermione, please, please let me tell you this whole story of where we come from and why that rat is clearly Peter Pettigrew. So Lupin begins to tell his entire story, um, starting in the beginning, how he was uh, bitten by a werewolf and how Dumbledore very graciously brought him to Hogwarts and how he was uh, – that most specific – most significantly, that the Whomping Willow was not placed there around the time of his coming to Hogwarts but was there because he was there at Hogwarts. And the shrieking shack, the shrieks from the shack were not from random ghouls. They were from him, himself, when he would bite himself and shriek and stuff. So, I thought it was so sad that he was, like, scratching and biting himself. Oh, I know. But they have, like, and I'm not even, like, trying to be funny, like, get it, got him, like, a chew toy, essentially. Just, like, something to bite onto <laughs> that's not himself. Poor guy. What kind of chew toy would be enough for a werewolf, though? I don't know, like... The squealing pig? I'm sorry. That's, that's less of a toy and more of just an actual animal. <laughs> I know. Maybe they could. They should have, have got him a desk pig. That's what it should have been. Should have been perfect. Desk pig doesn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so reportedly, he was smuggled out of the castle every month, and the word is smuggled, which makes me think that somebody was putting him in there. So, I'm, so I, my thought was, who, who was you know smuggling him out of the castle when he was growing up uh, at Hogwarts? Was it the teachers? Was it Hagrid? Was it Dumbledore? Pretty sure that it said Dumbledore. Probably Dumbledore. Yeah. You think you think once a month Dumbledore was leading Lupin, so that would make sense why they would have such a special connection. Actually, I think it was Madame Pomfrey. Hold on. It says right in the book. Um, 
I don't think Poppy's that old, is she? I thought she was similar age. To... I think also just they've kind of the impression I've gotten is that very very few people were let in on this secret. Um, I don't believe yeah. any of the teachers know, or any staff at all. I would even say McGonagall doesn't know. I think this is something that like because all these prejudices exist that and if any word got out to anyone, um, obviously as it does the and the reactions that happen. Um, I really just think it is just Dumbledore because um, Lupin says that he like feels guilty about even letting James and Sirius and all know. Um, so, and we all know that Hagrid is a blabbermouth as well. So if if Hagrid yeah. knew, then he would have told other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Blabbermouth? I'm no blabbermouth. Or tried to keep him as a pet. <laughs> <laughs> I won't begin that. Um. So, yeah, I think it was Dumbledore. Yeah, it doesn't say who, but I I actually always assumed... I mean, yeah, I guess it makes sense that it was Dumbledore, but I assumed that Madame Pomfrey would be in on it. And she's got to be that old. I mean, look at that that gear that she wears, that getup. I, I have to completely that disagree that Pomfrey, that Pomfrey was involved at all, just because I don't even think that she necessarily... Just, like, like dealing with, like, a werewolf... And, like, not freaking out about it is, like, a deal. And I think Dumbledore was really the only person uh, up for that job, besides Lupin's friends. She was born in the 50s, just so you know. I mean, somebody had to treat his his uh, monthly wounds, you know? If he was biting himself while a werewolf, he probably came out with scratches and bruises. I wonder I'm what sure the students he had thought. stories about no. No, 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 no. I, I, I knew I was right. It says Pomfrey on this is from the wiki. It says Pomfrey was already the school nurse when Harry's parents were in student were students. And it okay. is mentioned that she was the one escorting Remus out to the Whomping Willow. So there we go. Eagle pride. And she was likely treating her wound, his wounds, too. Right. Otherwise, he would come back. Right. Um, and Snape saw them um, walking out there. And that's what made him investigate. Snape. So Lupin's uh, being a werewolf and doing this uh, every single month is part of many different revelations coming out of this chapter. We learn that the the Marauders created the Marauders map. Uh, We learn their nicknames, Mooney, Padfoot, Wormtail, Prongs. um, And we learn that they all became Animaguses, which I believe is the right pronunciation. It's not Animagi. It is Animagi. (laughs) It is Animagi? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, good, because that makes so much more sense. And it, as opposed to Horcree, it's not Horcree, it's Horcruxes. <laughs> yeah, it's anime I guy. explained this to you in the previous episode, Noah. It's all about the Latin. It's all about the Latin, that's true. Um, <laughs> so they are, We it's revealed that they are Animagi, and that's, of course, makes sense why the rat is Peter Pettigrew. Though I do, I believe that at this point, um, Ron is still holding scabbers and not, without, you know, worrying about it, even though he must believe them at some on some level, right? I mean... I think if I were Ron, I'd be, like, thinking about the fact that he slept in my bed for 20 years or however many years it's been, 10 years, 8 years, 5 years, any number of even days. A certain number of years here. Right, exactly. I think out of all of them, Ron is the one that's least likely to believe the story at this point because, you know, he's had this rap for so long and it's never been a human. (laughs) He's also just the least logical of, like, Exactly. The least willing to accept... Right. It's true. And the things the things that Rap has seen and that Ron would have to admit that he's seen, yeah. Um, moving on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> moving on. 
we it, it's really huge of James and Peter and Sirius to become Animagi for Lupin's benefit, and they manage it in their fifth year apparently. At which point, he they're able to go off with Lupin. He's not really supposed to leave the Shrieking Shack, but he does, and they all go off at adventures, adventures that I might add we would all love to read. I'm sure in some you know prequel or some level, if, if J.K. Rowling would ever write those, but I feel like among the fandom, those would be the adventures we most want to see. Um, Except that she just said that she would never write a story about that. So, and they're all animals. There yep. would be very few dialogue going on. You'd be surprised, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rosie, like fan fictions where they're like talking telepathically or something, or like I, I can just talking imagine. animals and things as well. But yeah, Marauder Era is a massive um, category within fan fiction. Like people are so interested in the in their stories and their kind of school life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting reading it. Yeah, I mean, maybe she'll do something years down the line for charity. I mean, she's done it before. Except that she just said that she never would. She doesn't know that she never will. She doesn't know the future. She could change her mind. Um, but that's true. That is a good point. <laughs> um, and of course, there's the Pottermore information. Anyway, anyway, um, is it possible to read um, James, Peter, and Sears' kind of engaging in Lupin's um, life here? Um, I'm not gonna. No, I'm not gonna play the sexual card because it's really it's kind of hard to play. But it's like Lupin suffering with a condition. He's a unique identity, um, and they're sort of engaging his identity. Is it kind of like, um, in a way, um, do you get where I'm going here? Like, is uh, I understand what you're saying, um, but I've always, I have, and so has I believe uh, Rowling said this also. Just Lupin being more of um an allegory towards disease and stuff like AIDS yeah. more so than um, homosexuality or anything like that. Mm-hmm. She said I think that? She's, she explicitly said that it was a HIV. Um, Just like the allegory. stigma around, yeah, the danger yeah. of stuff like that. But um, Okay, that, that makes a lot more sense. But, you know, because, obviously, the, yeah. um, she also said that while that's where she's going, I think specifically, um, it can be more general, just kind of like oppressed yeah. kind of stuff like that. So I'm sure, yeah, like, yeah, the comparison can be made. I don't think that's what she was going for, but yeah. Right. I mean, it's, and HIV makes more sense here because he's, he's literally bitten and then he becomes a werewolf and it's this transmissible thing. Yeah. Um, but then for the fact that when he's a werewolf and he's running, and he's going on these adventures, he, he kind of, there's this one line where he talks about how the transformations used to be terrible, but then they became some of the best experiences of his life with uh, the other characters. So it's as if he's really engaging this, this animal personality. So, yeah, but I think he's talking about the experience, not the actual transformation. Uh, yeah. I think just having friends and everything. Right. And the like friends that understand, because I think growing up, especially um, with him being like, I am a werewolf. I'm never going to have friends or at least friends that like, I can be my like self around. I think he's just consistently so happy about the fact that, and we've discussed so many times that Lupin has such a tragic life that um, I think he's just so happy consistently that he has friends that like know his secret and is, and accept his secret and embrace it really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, yeah. they're cool guys on top of it. It's not like he's like with freaky people. Like they're like two of the coolest guys in school. You know, I know I may be jumping ahead here, but I was just thinking about this. I mean, is there any other end to Lupin's story besides death? Like, what do you mean? I mean, like, is there anything else? 
No, I just, he's so tragic. I feel like she had no it choice. Inevitable. It was inevitable that he was going to die. I mean, I, maybe she always knew because the way the, the marauders are laid out in the ordering, I mean, it's reverse order that they died in. I don't think that was intentional, but that would definitely uh, um, call for a genius moment. I could be making I could be making this up, but I feel like I don't know if this is what you were ready to say, Rosie, that she wasn't planning on killing him because she was planning on killing yeah. Mr. Weasley. And once the decision was made to not kill Mr. Weasley, then that was replaced with the killing of Lupin okay. and Tonks because she wanted that yeah. addition. She wanted someone else's parents to die and there would be that mirror right. thing. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. It, yeah. mirroring with Teddy was important. So I think the decision to kill Lupin and Tonks was made after deciding not to kill Mr. Weasley, which I'm so I would have never accepted for many reasons. The fact that if Mr. Weasley had died. So, um, I think I thought this full circle thing with Lupin was way better, but this is getting ahead of ourselves. Totally. It was just a thought that I had thinking about his tragic life, you know? I mean, at every death we should kind of talk about or think about like why those characters had to die. What is the symbolic? We should discuss them when we actually see them. Totally. We should. (laughs) Totally. That's my fault. Sorry. One thing, um, to think about that is that we always discuss the four marauders as if they were all animagi rather than three animagi and a werewolf. And mm-hmm. I think the werewolf transformation should only happen at the full moon, right? So yeah. for the rest of the month, the three of them can go off and have adventures and he's just stuck there being a normal human. That's so true. Oh, They probably did. <laughs> Add another check to the tragedy list. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even be an animagi. Hopefully they give him the invisibility cloak so he can run off as a human with them at that point. I mean, Greyback was transforming non on full moons, so... I mean, if Lupin really wanted to get in on the action, he could have. um, Do we ever see Greyback transform when he's not in a full moon? I don't think he transforms. Doesn't he just become kind of more wolfish? He just, like, eats people as a human because he's ridiculous. No, I'm pretty sure it's said that he's half-transformed or is transforming... Yeah, I think so. Cad, you gotta find that. I'll look it up. Right. I know that when he attacks Bill, he wasn't transformed. Yeah, I think he just became so like demonic that he was starting to attack people without even being transformed. Yeah, and then Bill got a taste for red meat from that. <laughs> okay, let's get back to this chapter. <laughs> okay, <laughs> hurry up, Remus! Snarled Black, who was still watching Scabbers with a horrible sort of hunger on his face. That's from page three hundred fifty-five of the uh, U.S. edition. So. With that hunger on his face, it made me go, oh my god, does he want to eat Peter Pettigrew? No. But what? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it, this is more about how much he just wants to kill uh, kill Peter Pettigrew slash Scabbers. So do we think that Sirius, I mean, we're pretty sure Sirius would do, totally do it. Um, do we think any less of him a little bit, considering that he's willing to just, just flat out murder this guy? Do you think he would have killed him? Yes. Yes. I don't, I don't. I don't believe it. Really? Actually, Sirius is my favorite character, and me too. I, um, I just like I, I, and it's not something I necessarily even agree with, but I totally think that he's embodies that someone who just can't um, see like that morality of like you know not 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 see it, but just want that revenge and like like I, you killed like my best friend. You're the reason they're dead. Like. And I, you're going to pay for it and not in like, I think also just because he's been wrongly imprisoned and everything like he's yeah. fed up with the whole he's like, suffered so bureaucracy much of it. Of like, 
like, oh, put him through a trial, put him in Azkaban. Like, I think he's just like, the whole thing's stupid, so let's just kill him because, you know, I've, I'm over all that. I see him more, I mean, that I feel like that personality you're describing is the opposite of Harry, and I see Sirius as a lot like Harry in a lot of ways. Um, I think, in fact, Harry's probably more like Sirius than he is like his father. And in I fact, completely disagree. Really? You don't think Harry's reckless and all of that? No, I think Ron is. If you're comparing Marauders and Trio, then I would say that Hermione is Lupin, Harry is James, and Ron is Sirius. They are the, like, I don't think that um, Sirius was ever kind of the leader of the gang. He was kind of the outgoing one, sure. But, but the thing like, is, Harry, uh, yeah, Harry's, re- I agree with you, Kat, in saying that Harry is reckless, but he's never reckless for like the fun of it almost and like that he just wants so badly to have like this normal life or whatever but he's so driven towards justice and figuring things out and all that he that he leads a reckless life but i don't think he'd choose that life given the option really like i don't think ron would either though well i kind of i kind of yes but like i in goblet of fire when he gets the like he likes the whole like glory aspect of everything and you know but I I do think there are similarities between Harry and Sirius. If, I mean, if you look at their childhoods growing up and um, if you look at kind of the effect that that's had on them, then sure, you know, Sirius being a Gryffindor and all of that kind of stuff, they they definitely do have some parallels, but not in that respect. Yeah, I 100% agree that there is certainly a lot of connections. And yeah, maybe even more so than James, because I always see James as someone way more like conceited and you know it's like i mean i always can relate fred and george more to lupin and to, to sirius and james than i do harry and ron but um i suppose yeah i i think sirius is a reckless person in his emotions more so than more so than harry and i think he's also he's a grown man who's prepared to kill like you know a lot of them are prepared to kill harry never was but uh, even i think in Deathly Hallows, like Lupin says, like, like Harry, if you're not prepared to kill, then stun them. That's kind of saying Lupin was prepared to kill all of the adults are. And I think that Sirius would have totally been fine with it. He might have regretted it afterwards because then his name wouldn't have been cleared, maybe, and all the different repercussions of it. But at in that moment, he wanted him dead. Yeah. Well, well given that, I kind of don't see Sirius as, as great a character as I thought he was. Quite honestly, even though he went through all of that, I really admire Harry's initiative to take a step back. And once Pettigrew is, we'll see, fully formed and says, let's leave him for the Dementors, which is arguably a worse fate. But it's it's not instant death when maybe man can't necessarily lead, land that final blow. Maybe it's not man's duty to do that. Um, I think, yeah, Sirius is not a role model oh, yeah. in any way. He's very flawed. Um I th- and we definitely see that in the the next couple of books as well, um, when he's kind of constantly kind of confusing Harry with his father and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't think that Sirius was ever kind of in control of himself in the scene. He's almost less human at this point than any other time we see him because he is so, like like the comment said earlier, so driven on that kind of one track mind that he just wants to kind of get the vengeance and get that kind of thing that he's been imprisoned for over with um that he can't see past that at the moment yeah also we kind of 
I think give him too much credit in that in him not being insane after you know going through all of Azkaban and the Dementors because we were consistently told that you know he didn't let the Dementors get to him and you know because he yeah, was like innocent. He must have done but a to bit. a degree, like he couldn't have one hundred percent not been affected by them in any way, regardless of how innocent he was. Yeah, he might have not completely you know submitted to them, but just even being in that environment for that long, surrounded by other criminals and being there unjustly, like. He's a little bit unhinged, like yeah. That's true. That's that's, that's a good point. I, I I can hear that excuse or argument for his sake. Bringing it back to the chapter, though, there is a moment where the door mysteriously opens. Um, if you guys remember, um, the exact quote is this: Lupin broke off. There had been a loud creak behind him. The bedroom door had opened of its own accord. All five of them stared at it. Then Lupin strode toward it and looked out into the landing. No one's there. This place is haunted, said Ron. He shouts that, actually. Um, and I thought, I thought it was funny that Ron instantly went to It's Haunted, even though he's seen ghosts. He's, he knows of all different kinds of creatures. But he's like he has such a thing about myth and storytelling that he's easily frightened by this kind of stuff. Um, but, of course, we know that it is not just a random door opening. I'm, I'm, in fact, kind of surprised that nobody there thought to realize it. But it was somebody under the invisibility cloak. That didn't just happen yet, but I'm just going to leave you with that. Oh, I didn't um, even realize. Well, hmm? I didn't even, like, realize what was happening. Okay. That it was Snape? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea, and I've read this book several times. But <laughs> now, That's a good point. I mean, that's something really easy to, you know, just kind of let go. I think it was – I forgot that he had the invisibility cloak. That was what threw me off because I was like – I did think, like, oh, it would be Snape. But I was like, but why wouldn't Lupin see him there? But I forgot about the invisibility cloak. Mm-hmm. You kind of forget that Harry doesn't have the invisibility cloak, so you just kind of wave it off. Harry is um, so irresponsible with the freaking invisibility cloak. He just cloak. Like, around. A he, like, for how ridiculously valuable and useful it is, he's just like, oh, like, not even just keeping it on. Like, when he gets in situations, like, where he needs the invisibility cloak, the second he thinks he's alone, he just tosses it off, like, throws it behind his shoulder, <laughs> and, like, it's gone. Not, and he, like, leaves on it on it. the top of towers and yeah. under witches' humps and all of that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> So um, so this is page 352, and at this point, we know that Snape has entered the building, and he is listening to everything. He doesn't reveal himself. He's just kind of chilling, even though Sirius Black is there, and he really should have just grabbed him. But I would say that the fact that he didn't meant that he really wanted to listen to this entire story, um, which works perfectly for him because Lupin pretty much goes into the full story of the Marauders that Snape obviously knows in part but hasn't probably heard from this point of view. And they even talk about him to a big degree. Um, especially on page 357, um, they're talking about Snape and Lupin says he especially disliked James, jealous, I think, of James' talent on the Quidditch field, dot, dot, dot. Um, and this is, this is a sentiment that's like all throughout the books that, oh yeah, Snape didn't like James, so it was probably because of Quidditch. But we of course know that it wasn't Quidditch, it was Lily. Well, I mean, yeah, Snape is jealous. They just got wrong over what he was jealous about, that's all. Yeah, no, I I agree with um, with what Noah is saying, and just like how well everyone Snape doesn't seem like someone even that would obviously he doesn't but care about stuff like Quidditch or sports. He's much more academic and everything. That I think it's weird that everyone was like, yeah, he's probably jealous of Quidditch, like not even giving it like a second hypothesis. Well, I mean, he does but, care a little bit, right? Because he does all sorts of things to keep Gryffindor off the pitch. But I think all that stuff was because of the Lily stuff. I oh, mean, the totally. secret—the secret was so deep that even the, the Marauders, it would seem, didn't had no idea. 
Um, well, you have to remember, like, the only thing we've ever seen of the actual Marauders is, like, Snape calling Lily and Mudblood and things as well to their face. So right. they've seen the bad side of Snape um, and Lily's relationship more than kind of his affection for her, which he only ever shows in private. Also, right. um, yeah, I just, I mean, like, because I said I never picked up on this, um, that Snape's standing right there, like, listening to all this. Like, I'm thinking of his thoughts of whether he'd be like, oh, my God, you're so ignorant, like not about the Quidditch or just getting really depressed over Lily. He was rolling like his eyes this. Yeah. this entire time. He was doing, he was making hand signs behind Lupin. He was like making weird faces. Do you guys think that Snape knows about Pettigrew? Because um, if he was involved with the whole plot with like, you know, knowing both sides and um, everything, like he should know what, like Voldemort's orders. He so sh- does he know that? Oh, I think. Oh, well. and we know, we know that um, Dumbledore says that he put his trust in the wrong person, right? Um, we mm-hmm. see that later in a, in a later book, in a flashback. Um, so he's seeing the scene and knows that the person who betrayed the per- the woman that he loves is in this room. Yeah, I mean, if Snape, if that really is Snape standing there, and Noah's correct on you know. I think he, yeah, I think he is. I think he is too. Then Lupin goes into the whole story about how they became animagi, and um, oh, it's de- it's definitely Snape because at the end of the chapter, it's well, Snape obviously, walks in. but I'm yeah. just saying, like, if that exact moment is Snape showing up, then if he didn't know, then so he, this is Snape then he discovering knows. the tools exactly and tools that led to Lily's downfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes me think of, um, I mean, obviously, you had to play that whole like double side of it but you know if if it's Pettigrew's fault that Lily and James are dead really uh wasn't like Pettigrew like living with Snape in the Half-Blood Prince yeah I mean it's true I think this feeds into you know I don't think Snape is a hero and I think that this kind of backs me up right here is the fact that Snape basically learns everything about what truly happened and he still hates Sirius and defends Pettigrew not to but that's the him, thing, but, like, know. if if he never knew about Pettigrew, because he never sees Pettigrew in that in that room, don't forget. That's um, true. Which we'll cover next next week, um, or the week after. Um, if Snape really does believe that it is Sirius that betrayed them, then that gives him an extra reason to hate Sirius, other than, you know, basic trying to kill him at <laughs> school kind of thing. Um, but if he does know about Pettigrew then yeah then Snape is a lot colder than I ever thought he was well you got to remember that um Snape's hatred of Sirius goes way back all the way to the um that trickery that happened with the uh, tree oh, with Whomping Willow and how Sirius almost got that's Snape what I meant, killed yeah by killing him yeah um so that's actually mentioned in here Snape is of course still silent in his invisibility cloak uh, but Lupin goes into the story of how Sirius led Snape over to the Whomping Willow while uh, Lupin was going through one of his werewolf phases. Um, but then James heard about it and saved Snape's life in the nick of time um, and thereby creating a life debt for Snape to James. I think this also, I think, I'm forgetting which side you took on this cat, but um, and comparing Harry and Ron to uh, James and Sirius, like, what Sirius did, I think, is a much more Ron thing to do of, like, I, I wouldn't say Ron would do that, but in, I think of um, in the Deathly Hallows when Malfoy's life, Draco's life is in jeopardy, and Ron's, like, 
oh my god, just leave him there. And Harry's like, no, like I have to go back and save him, even though he's the worst. Um, yeah, that's much more of a James thing than a serious thing. Yeah. All right, in that one particular instance, I'll give you that. It's fine. <laughs> I think we don't know enough about James, really. No, we don't. We have at all. a very skewed. It, Harry is super biased, and Snape super biased. Mm-hmm. In opposite directions, but we really don't have a good idea of what he truly is. Actually, like that's my issue with James. I don't because I don't know enough about him. I just think everything is so biased. My only thing that makes me like like him is the fact that Lily loved him so clearly. He had to be like halfway decent. Mm-hmm. But is Lily that great if you turned away Snape? Yeah, let's not get into that debate right now. <laughs> <laughs> Snape's a hero in my book, even if he owes a life debt to James. Kat, was it you who said in, in like one of the past episodes that Snape totally didn't owe James a life debt? It was somebody. No. <laughs> so there's there's a wiki article saying that uh, Snape did owe James a life debt, and I'm pretty sure he did. Um, so on some levels, because Snape owed – and so according to that article, Snape kind of paid that back by protecting Harry throughout his life, um, similar to the way that Snape loved Lily. So that's why he's also protecting Harry. So – the one counter argument to Snape being a hero theory is that on some level because of this life debt and because of his kind of selfish love, those were why he was protecting Harry and therefore maybe a hero is someone who does it out of his own personal need. I completely disagree with that. Like, I don't really believe that the life debt thing comes into him protecting Harry. I do believe that he's protecting the only kind of living thing that is related to Lily. Um, but I don't think that that makes him less heroic, um, and I don't think that his love was necessarily selfish either. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't think that he has a life debt, but um, I still don't think as a hero, and I do think he's selfish. So. <laughs> yeah, I agree with half of what Rosie said and half of what Kat said, <laughs> in that I agree that the life debt thing totally doesn't um, impact Snape's protection of Harry. I think he literally care less about James or anything about him. I think his protection of Harry's 100% has to do with Lily. And I agree that Snape is not really a hero. So He's an anti-hero. Oh, an anti. Wow. Okay, and then the chapter ends with the most epic scene in which... Let me read the passage because the reveal is pretty cool. So that's why Snape doesn't like you, said Harry slowly, because because he thought you were in on the joke. That That's right, sneered a cold voice from the wall behind Lupin. Severus Snape was pulling off the invisibility cloak, his wand pointing directly at Lupin. Um, so just from a, a, a writing standpoint, that's like an awesome forward, because like you totally want to turn the page and read the next page after that happens. Um, because the events, the just the lineup of events is so cool. I judge by the silence that I'm the only one who thinks that's cool. Okay. And no, I, I, I agree. No, it's good. I, I think it's good writing. Yeah, what can we say? I that's don't understand. I think, like, Rowling should have just made At Rat Dog and this Moony Worm Tail chapter the same chapter because it was so it's the short. same scene happening of them talking. And to be fair, you know, Rat and Dog are Wormtail and Padfoot, so. Right. I think she but just it, wanted to have a chapter called Moony Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. Yeah, I agree. Which just makes me feel like there might have been more of a story that got cut in editing because it was extraneous. Yeah. Well, like a deeper backstory on them because it's so interesting and we said how everyone's so interested about them. But I feel like there might have been more there that just got cut down because it slowed down the plot. Well, this chapter got cut off on Pottermore, right? They only released through chapter 17. 
Yeah. So this chapter is coming up, and let's keep our fingers crossed for some backstory. Or maybe the second half of the chapter. No. Well, I mean, she did say that she wrote Lupin's backstory. Um, so oh, that's true. We might get that here. Well, this would be the most logical <laughs> so place, excited. wouldn't it? Well, everyone, yeah. Alohomora just stumbled upon a nugget of truth that nowhere, no one else has. Yeah, I'm sure no one else has figured that out. No one else, yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's all I got. All right, so let's move on to our special feature for the week. The Beast Inquisition. Hagrid, is that a dragon's egg? Yep, what I got there is a Norwegian Ridgeback. They're rare, them. Hagrid, you live in a wooden house. Okay, so we're going to do Animagi, Animagi, however you want to say it. Animagi. I think both are correct, except Noah's pronunciation. (laughs) That is not correct. (laughs) It's always, I'm always wrong. So per the huge, I'm going to start out with a little Latin lesson. Although Rosie (laughs) should probably do this, but I'm going to anyway. So I looked it up and it said that uh, I found out that animagi is Latin. It's a combination of two words, animal and mage, right? Mm-hmm. That's mage, right? I said it right? Yeah. Okay. Um, in other words, basically the words mean animal, magical person. <laughs> so and That's pretty standard. It's Yeah, it's pretty uh, straight up like yeah. most of the words she uses. And so we obviously know that, you know, a person's animagus form is determined by their personality and traits and can't be predetermined. So I was wondering, we talked a little bit about this before, um, but how do we feel that the, the, the animagus forms of the characters that we actually do know, do we think that they fit their personalities? Like, what part of James would have turned him into a stag or Sirius, a dog? Well, I think we already talked um, a little bit about Sirius being so loyal. Yeah, that's um, true. And stuff, and also just kind of like goofy. Like, I don't know, my dog is like a big goofball, but it's like... You know, always like kind of just causing trouble, but like harmless kind of like the snuffles yeah. personality. Yeah, I'm more concerned. Like, I would have been like a little bit of an alarm setting off if it's if if they truly cannot predetermine it and it's just their personality. Like, Pettigrew just transformed into a rat. <laughs> this is a right. red flag. <laughs> like, right. Like people should be like, worried about that. I understand. The image of the stag for me was really interesting. Um like I love Arthurian legends and all of that kind of chivalric stuff. Um, so having kind of a heraldic symbol like a stag, um, and obviously you see like knights going off hunting stags, and it's kind of that kind of noble tradition of hunting stags. What um, does the stag itself represent, though, Rosie? Within heraldry and things. Yeah, I can look that up if you want. Sure, I'm um, just curious. It would have been so it's such an exciting thing just to like um be an animagus. No, like to like find out like what am I gonna transform into? And of course like I have to feel bad even though Pettigrew's the worst. Be like, really? Like I transformed into a rat? Come on. Like unlucky. Do you think it's the same as your Patronus? All of all of the ones that we know about are the same. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, so I'm still I'm still going with rabbit for me. I'm mad because I've always said I was a wolf, and Caleb stole that one for me because I wasn't on that episode. Oh, well, that doesn't so, mean you can't have you a can wolf. Both be wolves, it's fine. You guys are very similar. Problem with that? So. <laughs> Little wolf pack. Um, 
<laughs> okay, this isn't Twilight. Let's not go there. Okay, a stag <laughs> is one who will not fight unless unprov- unless provoked. It represents peace and harmony, and antlers represent strength and fortitude. So, I mean, that pretty much tells us the kind of guy James was. I mean, but does cool. it? I guess, I mean, if he was, if he turned into that, then I guess it does, right? He wouldn't fight unless he was provoked. That's not true. Well, mm. it's true of him later on, perhaps. True. Because um, you can't produce a Patronus or become an Animagus until you've kind of matured magically. Maybe that's also personally. We see him attack Snape for no reason in... Fifth year. Fifth year, which would be after he's learned how to be an animator. Or around the same time, because they learn in their fifth year. Yeah. So that's pretty, that's pretty problematic, then. Not necessarily. I think it shows who he should be. Not necessarily who he is as a child. Because I don't think he is matured enough hmm. at that point. And we obviously we, we know that he changes a lot um, and matures a lot very quickly once um, he gets to kind of sixth and seventh year. When the, the war is kicking up. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, people's Patronuses and, and the... And I would say anime guy too. Could they change? Because doesn't Tonks's change to reflect Lupin eventually? Yeah, I would. So think would someone's that... animagus be able to change if they matured? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. I think Patronus can change. Animagus form shouldn't. Because I feel like the Patronus is more about the emotions behind who you are, and the um, anime you know, animagus form or whatever is more about who you are, who you like really yeah. are. Yeah, an animagus is kind of a reflection of yourself, whereas a patronus is more of a kind of a guardian for yourself. It doesn't necessarily have to be part of you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Can uh, can Tonks transform into any animal at will? No, she's a metamorphomagus, so she can change her appearance, but she can't become an animal. Can she change it to the appearance of an animal? No. Not full <laughs> body. If She could have a pig nose or frog lips, but she can't have a pig face. But I don't know. I'm kind of a little bit on with Noah on this that, like, she, I don't think she necessarily would want to. But if she can change all of her features at will, if she really sat down and was like, I'm changing this part of my face and I'm changing this part of my face. I think it would take a lot of but work. But that's superficial. Like, to change into an animal, you'd have to change, like, your entire size, your internal organs, right. like, your, your right. basic You makeup. got me on the internal organs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can she change internal organs? No. That's I doubt of- it bit dangerous she would be kind of like a desk pig different on the outside get it yeah all right so um you know if we buy into the fact that their personalities fit for these people then i'm just curious because we know that they all have identifying features like mcgonagall with her glasses and rita skeeter coincidentally with her glasses like jk or come up with something new dream big so do you think right. like James's stag would have had messy, messy hair and, and, and <laughs> glasses. That's what I was asking. Like, would he have a glasses mark too? Or like, what, what would their identifying features be? Well, I think the fact that Sirius is like shaggy, right? Isn't yeah. he like a shaggy dog? Yeah. Yeah, but that, isn't that just after he's out of Azkaban? I mean, he obviously showers at some point. No, I always kind of see had long hair with the long hair shagginess. Yeah. A little, so, like, rock and roll kind of shagging. It's not like he's been <laughs> being starved in a prison for ten years. All right, so long black hair is his identifying feature? Sure. All right, cool. What about James? Any idea at all? I'm just picturing a stag wearing glasses. You could probably have kind of a tuft of hair. 
I don't know. I, I don't think I can know enough about James's sure. physical features besides um, his hair. I just think of what Harry looks like. <laughs> they, it's just weird that most of the anime guy that we know about have glasses. I'm just saying. Anyway. Do you think? Do you think McGonagall's glasses work when she's a cat and then become that pattern around her eyes? And if she takes them off, then she transforms. Like she doesn't. Her eyes don't work as well. I mean, um, <laughs> oh, that, that's that's um. <laughs> Did I just blow your mind? That's an interesting thought. I I don't know. There's no way to prove I, it. I it's think just... I agree with Noah. Okay. We well, agree with Noah, everybody. We agree with Noah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so going on kind of Noah's train of thought here, what, what do we think happens to their clothes when they transform? Because it's not like there's a little rat wearing Pettigrew's suit. Uh, or a little, oh, a little witch hat on McGonagall, on the kitty. <laughs> where do those clothes go? Like on our t-shirts. Right, like on the t-shirts. I think, do they just kind of get, like, absorbed into them? I think it's it's too complicated for them to disappear. Like, they they just transform with him in this. It's it's it, it's a kid's book. No, but, because we see McGonagall transform, like, directly in front of them. Yeah, and there's, there's no nudity <laughs> in that, so they must just stay, keep their clothes on. So has Peter just been wearing, like, the same pair of clothes That's for, like, disgusting. 12 years? Yeah. <laughs> He's really not a nice guy, He's is smelly he? and gross. Disgusting. He's not taking a shower. Pettigrew ever... I, I think we might have talked about this, and I think I was shot down. Um, Like, Pettigrew ever, like, secretly changed anywhere? Like, did he seriously just spend this entire time only as a rat, or did he ever, like leave Ron's sight in, like, the woods or something, or to do, to look for Voldemort, I don't know, something, where he, like... I think he could have done, um, but he had no yeah. reason to. As long as he was living happily as a rat, then he could have stayed as a rat. Shot down. No, no, I, oh, I like yeah. to think that he might have, uh, like, occasionally raided the Weasley refrigerator. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's not comfortable to be a rat in rat form for so long. Do they have to eat a different amount, do you think? Like, oh. it, like a rat would have to eat a lot less than a full-bodied human, so... Interesting. I always think of, like, you know, like, Charlotte's Web, Templeton? I think mm-hmm. that was his name, the rat. Mm-hmm. He was, like, really, like, evil, and he's just going around, like, stealing all the food. <laughs> it's Peter! Maybe, I was ready to make a really bad joke. <laughs> I was going to say, like, if Peter is, like, secretly stealing from, like, the Weasley food stash, like, it's not making it any easier on him. On That's why they're so poor? That's where I was going with that, but now I felt too bad about it. Oh, it's all Pettigrew's fault. That evil, evil man. Damn it. <laughs> Damn you, Pettigrew. Okay, all right. So, um, <clears throat> actually, we have a comment um, from Hinky Puff that, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to read just briefly. It's kind of interesting. It says, um, we, this is on our discussion last week about if there was a cat, you know, where do cats go to poo? And if there's a cat room of requirement. Hard-hitting stuff we talk about here. Totally, totally. <laughs> <laughs> and Hinky Puff asks if McGonagall could get in there and does she secretly hang out with Mrs. Norris? And then this is the part I wanted to chat about. And when she's in cat form, can she communicate with cats? Therefore, could Crookshanks have somehow told her about Pettigrew? Um so I thought that was really interesting and I wanted to kind of expand on that a little bit. Like the, when you're an anime guy form, animagus form, you can communicate with other animals. But do you think once that person transforms back into a human, they can still talk to animals? Because, you know, that would make sense because when Snuffles is serious, wait, 
When Sirius is Snuffles, I'm all backwards, he can understand English as a dog. So as a human, shouldn't he be able to understand dog? Yeah. I think that he would be, like, as a dog, you can understand being, you can understand other dogs, but as, and as a dog, you can understand humans, but you can't understand dogs as a human. So if McGonagall was a cat, then she could talk to Crookshanks. But if she's back in her human form, then she wouldn't be able to. And I don't think McGonagall would have had any reason to transform whilst well, at I school. I have to kind of disagree um, in that. I don't actually think when they're communicating with the animals, I don't actually think there's a dialogue going on that they're understanding like dog speech and like having full-fledged conversations. I think it's just being more aware since you've now become a dog and like you like are more aware just of the mannerisms of being a dog like physically that you um would understand if you were to get to another dog like they're why they're making that body movement or stuff like that i don't think there's actual dialogue going on i think they're just no but there is some kind of communication yeah and i think that but it's i think it's very much just mannerisms which is why i think they would kind of be able to understand the animal because they'd still be able to observe physically what they're doing See, I think there's got to be a language because it says in the books that Sirius told Crookshanks about Pettigrew. And, like, how do you convey to somebody, a cat especially, that this guy's bad? That's how. (laughs) End discussion. (laughs) Okay. And so so there was one other kind of interesting comment um, found on the forums when we were reading through. It's by Hufflepuffskeen. And it says, um, this is on the idea of transfiguration and anime guy, I guess. It says, what if wizards are harnessing powers of ever- evolutionary time and so through transfiguring into animals are de-evolving into lesser mammals? Or I imagine birds or amphibians too. We know magic can manipulate time. So what if evolutionary timescales could be messed with? Maybe animagusing is so hard because of the time depth involved in the transformation. And perhaps it also has to do with the psychological and cognitive complexity of the life form as well. Would animagusing into a rat be easier than animagusing into a chimpanzee? That's an interesting thought. Like, is is um, Pettigrew a rat because it's an easier form to transform into Simpler, than the others? Because yeah. he's less I mean, academic. I would say yes if we didn't already know that you can't choose what animal you turn into. Well, I think what Rosie's saying is that it's not that he's choosing it because it's easier. He's, like, achieving it because it's easier. Like, he he goes Ooh, okay. to rat form before a different animal because it's so, a lot, it's, like, a lot easier. And he's kind of simple anyway. Yeah. It, yeah. Understandable, but I don't think he could be anything other than a rat anyway because it's his essence. A weasel? Um, or, or, I mean, that's true, but... What if it's even harder to become a rat for Pettigrew because it's so spatially smaller than, uh, like, a dog. Well, I think that's what this question is essentially asking, Noah. I wouldn't necessarily think of all animals as less evolved than humans either. Um, So, like, the idea of kind of de-evolving wouldn't necessarily work for me. Um, But I do like the idea of perhaps simpler animals and more complex animals. Like, it's it's... Um, like Rita Skeeter, we haven't really discussed her at all, but like being a beetle, would that be easier than 
What a dangerous like a thing to turn into, first of all. Like, right? it's so yeah. easy to just Yeah, you'd be easily squished. squished. Yeah. I think that's mainly kind of being the bug on the wall. I want right. to say intuitively that it's it's equally hard for each one. I have no evidence to back that up, though. I'm kind of with Noah that I don't <laughs> think it has anything to do with, like, the biological of, like, a rat's... Even though I just said this, like, five minutes ago. Um, the, like... Um, that it really has much to do with the biological differences. Because no, yeah. to... I think I like the idea, but I yeah, don't think to it ma- To say one animal's more complex than the next, in what way, kind of, is it just because it's smaller? What's their mental capacity? But are they even thinking like an animal? Like, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I mean, but we do know that it is harder to transfigure animals like snakes and pigs. So I feel like it does make sense. Because this is, you know a form of transformation. It's not transfiguration, so to say. Yeah, but you're essentially, you're transfiguring yourself into something else rather than transfiguring something else into something else. So it's going to be equally hard for everyone. That's to true. Trans- no, that's true. I mean, human. that's true. Because it's not like you're turning a desk into a pig. You're turning a person into something with bones and blood and muscle and all that. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Oink Creek. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and um, I just thought this bit was a little interesting. I was When I was reading up on, um, you know, the registry at the Ministry of Magic, I found out that the punishment for not registering is a sentence in Azkaban. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that, that seems about right for this <laughs> unforgiving wizarding world. Everything just sends you to Azkaban. Yeah, that, I mean, that's their, that's, that's their punishment for everything. Azkaban. <laughs> I just, I want to quickly just say the only anim four of like the five anime guesses anime guy that we know of are unregistered the only registered one i believe we know of is mcgonagall correct so are there do you think there are other there's a whole other six there are are, actually um hold on oh did we know this we do know this it's on the registry um we know it from the wiki it has it hold on i can read them How'd they get it? Because the wiki, I don't know, they're <laughs> hardcore. All right, so the first one is Falco Elysian, and it's a falcon. It's the first registered Animagus, and the registration system was not in existence <laughs> at that time. And then another one is Morgan Le Fay, which is a bird. Um, Cleodina, awesome. I can't even, Cleo, <laughs> Cleodna, I can't pronounce it, C-L-I-O-D-N-A, Cleodna, it's a seabird. And then we've got McGonagall. And then um, an unidentified witch, which is a cat. <laughs> and Babbity, which is um, the rabbit. So we know five out of the seven registered anime guy. Wait, I mean, so there's only seven in the entire wizarding world? Uh, yes. It says total, like- total of seven registered in the 20th century. I'm sure there are Ridiculous. tons unregistered. I'm, I'm sure that's like... I'm sure there are tons of witches and wizards unregistered because it's it's a total way to get by. Why wouldn't people do that? Like, I mean, I know that it's complex magic, but they were only 15 or approximately. I just find it ridiculous to think that no other wizard. Well, that's thought, that's why I'm going to become an animagus today, or at least spend like a month figuring that out. Right. But I'm saying it's more likely that there are more out there, and the fact that it was so. Not necessarily easy, but the fact that these students could do it makes me think that there are tons and tons of them out there that just go unregistered because you can do cool stuff. But what's the point? Yeah, why can't you just become registered? No, but I mean, like, I know, but 
Like, what would be the point of becoming an Animagus? Because it's awesome. It's awesome. There are look like it has other. If it if you can get by Dementors easily, maybe there are other sort of ways that it lets you sneak through. But you never know what animal you're going right. to turn into. So like, or at least you would after your first time. But you wouldn't be a know. cockroach or something. Not me. Then, I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, then you can like transform and be like, <laughs> all right, this sucks, and then never do it again. Then have someone stamp on you because you realize that you're a cockroach in your soul. Okay, that's taken that. <laughs> that's really morbid. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the use for you, so it's fine. Um. So it's time for our podcast question of the week. Um, and it's fallen to me this week, which is quite exciting because it's normally the boys that get to do this. Um, we have kind of realised in our discussion that we've gone through this episode that we really don't know all that much about James. Um, we've kind of tried to draw some links between him and Harry or him and other characters. Um, but one thing that we really do know, obviously, is that he is prongs and that he has this form of the stag when he turns into his animagus form. So what we'd like you guys to think about is what that really says about James um, and about kind of his characteristics and his exploits. And um, what else can we actually draw from his being a stag as we can draw from Sirius being a dog or Wormtail being a rat? Um, so, yeah, let us know what you guys think. And maybe we can unlock some of the secrets about James Potter. Great. Okay. And I just want to let everyone know um, how you can be on the show as a guest. As always, you can email us a clip of yourself uh, analyzing a part of the chapter to alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, you need the appropriate audio equipment and headphones, all that jazz. And as always, you can submit content on the Alohomora website, and we just might read it on the show. If you want to contact us to do that, you can follow us on Twitter at MN. You can visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dumbledore. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail in our comments by calling our Skype account at 206-GO-ALBUS, which is 206-462-5287. Uh, feel free to leave us comments and check us out on our main site at alohomora.mugglenet.com. You can email us any questions or comments at alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Also, don't forget to check out our store where you can get all of our amazing host shirts. Um, we are working on getting those images vectorized so we can put them on other products such as iPhone cases, tote bags and water bottles. And of course, Laura and Eric, our brand new hosts, have been tasked with coming up with their own host shirt ideas. So keep an eye out for them soon as well. And you got to download the app, the Alohomora app. I know I don't leave my house without the app in my pocket. In Wait, my, you don't uh, have an iPhone. iPhone, <laughs> iPhone iPad or Android device. It is available in the U.S. and the U.K. for a dollar ninety nine or one dollar twenty nine. Is that euros, pence? One pound twenty nine pence. How many Noah? time have you heard us say that? Every single episode, we're going to ask. <laughs> and don't forget. You can also get it on your Kindle and your iPad. It's an amazing, awesome app, and it's got tons of extra stuff from the show, bloopers, transcripts. You know what we're talking about. We've talked about it on every show. Just you got to download that app because we're always putting secret stuff on there. So that's the end of the episode, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I'm Laura Riley. I am Noah Freed. I'm Rosie Morris. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 29 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore.
pause sufficiently. They really only need about two seconds. So yeah, more, <laughs> okay. more than enough time. <laughs> Just did awesome job on the pausing. No one landed it. <laughs> but first, what does Lee Jordan do when McGonagall turns into a cat? All right, we're not going there. No. Uh... Okay. Shut uh... down. <laughs> Do you honestly not know what a pound sign looks like? <laughs> <laughs> the only country that matters, dollars. No, Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. A lot of angle files out there really okay. matter right now. <laughs> no one's going to hear this. It's fine. Really? I'm going to tell Patrick to leave it in the episode. <laughs> Just leave that in. Uh, that. Whatever. We're firing, Noah. Let it come. Let them come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. On that note.